is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Play Mets fans. Welcome to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And Chris, we are coming off, as of recording right now, a two-game sweep by the Boston Red Sox. A sweep in which the Red Sox won by scoring just three runs over two games. The Mets scored just one run over two games, despite getting excellent pitching from just about every corner of their staff. Starters, bullpen. The Mets' bats still are not waking up. And you and I were uh, messaging a lot during the game, and I, I think we can both admit that this is frustrating. I think we can both admit that this is not super fun to watch, but I don't think either one of us is necessarily uh, running around thinking this is the end of the 2021 Mets yet. Uh, is that a fair way to categorize how you're feeling right now? Yeah, it is. It definitely is. I would say it's a combination of of readjusting to a 162 game season. Uh, you know, so there, there's a little bit of that, like, oh wow, I, you know, I, I just feel lucky that we have one of those again after not having it last year. You know, uh, this April is a lot different than last April, to put it mildly. So you know, there, there's that component to it. And then I, I don't know if it's the, you know, the effects of the pandemic or the effects of being 36. Um, 
or, or just having, you know, it's been a year and a half since I've been in a ballpark to, uh, to see a game. And honestly, it might get close to two years before, before I do. So I don't know. I don't know if it's just like the circumstances of all of that that have contributed to having a much more relaxed approach right now, or maybe it's just that I lean toward good pitching so much that I don't know. If, if the record were exactly the same nine and 10 uh, and they were scoring five runs a game, but every pitcher other than DeGrom was giving up, you know, seven. Uh, I think that would make me more irritated than this. Um, yeah, I would so, agree yeah. with that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair take. You know, look, th- there are certain players that tend to be streakier, and this is not a surprise that they're starting off cold. But we also have to recognize that the Mets have had such a weird schedule. I mean, we've said this every time we've recorded, right, (laughs) since the season started. The season started with three postponed games. And then from there, there were at least two rainouts, maybe three rainouts, a snow out. Um, And then this week had two off days. So it's just they have not had any sort of consistent playing schedule since the season started. I think that has something to do with this. I also think something to do with this is just that, you know, the the baseball has changed since last year, and so players are adjusting to the new ball. Although I don't know how much that really plays into it. I think it probably plays into it somewhat. Um, I will also say I think that the, as you said, the sort of the return to the 162-game season grind is certainly there. And then it's just it's April. April happens every year, right? People get off to slower starts than you'd like to see. And this is just what happens early in the season. I think if the Mets are still hitting this way a month from now, then I will be more concerned. And I think that there's abs- I would be absolutely within my rights as a fan to be more concerned if at the end of May the Mets are not hitting at all than I am right now. To me, Memorial Day is always the first of three markers that I use as as sort of my my panic meter. Memorial Day is when if someone really isn't hitting or a pitcher really hasn't come around yet, that's when I begin to get worried. The All-Star break is my second marker where you start to realize, okay, this might be a season-long problem. You know, this is when it gets really serious. And then if the Mets are not really in the hunt by Labor Day, that's when I sort of give up for the season. Those are sort of my three markers that I I use. And those are by no means like specific or interesting in any way. Like I think most fans kind of have similar uh similar guideposts throughout the year of when you start to take things a little bit more seriously in terms of your team's successes or failures. But yeah. like you like you said, the pitching's been really good. Right. And I I like you're embracing the uh, the national pastime, the reputation of the sport by <laughs> by those you know guidelines to a season that are all uh, you know American holidays. I did not say Fourth of July. I said, I said uh, All Star Game. I, I I almost went Fourth of July though, just yeah, just to keep yeah. the patriotism rolling. <laughs> but they they're close enough. They're they're linked in my mind, even if they are sometimes like thirteen days apart. I sure. Think. 
you know, I think the all-star game has been that late at times, but yeah, no, on the offensive side, I, I hope that this is, uh, 2017 Curtis Granderson has come to life in the form of an entire team (laughs) where I was having conversations with people at City Field in April and early May, and I won't name names. Some of them may have written for the site at some point. (laughs) Some (laughs) may may have been a little more of your standard WFAN caller, Uh, but sort of ran the spectrum of Mets fans. Of like, oh man, I think Granderson's toast. Um, but he he had a 386 OPS at the end of the day on May 2nd, and through the rest of the season, he had an 868 OPS. Um, that's a hell of an improvement, you know. So I I just kind of hope that that's where things are. I will say the one hitter that concerns me because he concerned me at the time they signed him, uh, and. and coming into the season is is McCann um you know I've said this before maybe to a fault I uh I'm a little slow to buy into a guy having a drastic improvement after years of not being good at hitting right so you know I pretty much everybody else in the lineup I expect will be much better than they have been um and McCann is the one guy that I'm like, I, I do still think he'll be better than he's been, but I don't know how much. That's also fine. Like that, that was not going to break the team if he's, if he's not a, you know, the hitter that he was in 2019 and 2020. But, uh, but to your point, you know, focusing on the pitching success, uh, you know, it's not just a Grom. And I guess the devil's advocate thing would be like, Oh, well, what if the pitching starts to struggle when they start to hit? Well, you know, that's, that's, that's baseball. baseball friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know that it's necessarily easier or harder to, or the other, uh, during a season, you know, it it seems like the easiest thing to do by trade is improve the bullpen. Uh, Lucas Flahos wrote about trade targets. Um, and, and aside from, you know, Chris Bryant being like the one super appealing position player who will probably be traded this year. He focused a lot on relief pitchers, and I think that's a reasonable thing to do. Um, you know, it's the least expensive type of player to acquire in a trade. Uh, you know, that midseason reliever. I mean, sort of although thing. you know, I, I no disrespect to that to that opinion, which is I think absolutely correct. But the Mets bullpen looks good so far. Yeah, no, no, no. So far. Uh, they are making me and, and everybody else who was super concerned about them look bad, which I – anytime I – if I'm that concerned about that part of a – or a part of a Mets team, anytime that they want to make me look stupid, I, I welcome it. Um, you know, at the same time, it is only April. So, you know, I, I, there, there are some concerns. But Miguel Castro um, looks legitimately good. Edwin Diaz looks like he – it looks like 2019 was the outlier, Um, you know, combining what he had done for his entire career up to that point. And then what he did in the short season and what he started to do this season. Um, You know, Trevor Mays looked good. If not like Diaz deGrom level dominant, he's, he still looked good. Yes. Even Um, Aaron loop after that first appearance has looked pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, for the bullpen to be, 
in this spot without Seth Lugo, who it, it, it it's an interesting conversation that I, I hope we get to have, you know, say Lugo comes back fully healthy in uh, somewhere between two and four weeks. Um, if Diaz is this good, you know, who, who's the more valuable reliever, uh, Lugo or Diaz? Because, you know, Diaz will probably put up the better ERA, but Lugo having that ability to give you a couple innings, um, sort of like Garrett Whitlock did to the Mets tonight, that, I don't know. I Like, I don't know which thing you value more, but it'd be a fun thing to get to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also wonder with, you know, we've talked in the past about when things get a little bit di- when we get to see some uh some innings out of maybe Joey Lucchese in the bullpen how that will shake things up you know because I, I still think that the Mets the the back the back end of the bullpen I think is solid but I still don't have a ton of confidence in your Robert Gazelmans and Jacob Barnes's of the world right so I think that there's still room for the Mets to improve especially when it comes to um you know, putting a Lucchese in there, who's a lefty with a different look. I think there's a lot of value in that. I, I know the Mets have had Stephen Tarpley up now. Is it three times already that he was he was twice the twenty seventh man? And I think he was called up legitimately one time. Correct? Yeah, and it might have even been twice. But either way, you know, he's he's been riding the uh, Heath Bell Express. Yes, yes. Has he got into a game yet? Uh, he did. I think he had the one, try. right? Yeah, yeah it, it didn't go very well. <laughs> no, it did not. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I don't think that he's necessarily an answer for the bullpen. It's going to be interesting. It's, it's going to be – It's going to be. I, I think that if these pitchers can keep this up, the Mets aren't going to need as much bullpen help as we thought. But I also think that the Mets might need more offensive help than we thought. And I don't even know – like, looking at the team – like you said, Chris Bryant is the obvious guy out there, right? But if you have Chris Bryant, then you have you're gonna have to juggle some other guys around to keep some playing time, which I'm totally fine with. But there's not like one spot that I feel the Mets absolutely need to improve upon because I feel like defensively they've been more or less okay. This it hasn't been an outfield disaster, though there have been some poor outfield plays. Like, is there any place, excuse me, is there any place in the team that you would prioritize trying to improve over the course of the season if you could? Um, yeah, other than Bryant, whether it's, you know, third base or time in the outfields, there isn't a realistic person out there. Of course, if there's a way to, you know, go get somebody who's. <laughs> if we can get Mike Trout, we should get Mike Trout. Sure. Yeah, I would. I would. I would upgrade center field if Mike Trapp becomes available. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just looking to see. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess. I'm, man, this is like the lamest answer ever. I need to see more out of Tomas Nito, <laughs> and then if it's not good, backup catcher would be a nice place to improve. Well, um, did you see the Mets news about backup catcher today? Yeah, they uh, claimed a guy. They claimed a guy. Uh, they claimed, hang on a second, uh, Davey Grulon, 
of Grian, perhaps, off waivers from Tampa. It was noted that uh, Zach Scott also claimed him off off uh, off waivers when he was in the Boston front office. Yeah. So perhaps he's somebody that that you know the Zach Scott is a fan of, and I think that uh, you know a, a move like that is is a smart one, and uh, you know who, you know who who cares about adding. There, there's no downside to that move, right? Um, right. But I think that if McCann is truly an offensive black hole the way he's been thus far, then I, I don't, I don't know if you can live with with McCann and Nito at that point. Right. So yeah, I mean, it, I I agree with you and. You know, as, as you look down the list, and I, I wrote about it last week too, and, you know, I think it, it, Lucas is, is in the process of writing about it, um, it as, as we record this, finishing up something that'll probably be on the site shortly after you hear us talking. Um, it just kind of figures that this has to turn around. You know, Conforto, McNeil, McCann, to whatever extent, you know, you, you buy into his success. Lindor, Dom Smith, um, even Kevin Pillar, who, you know, is not on the level of those guys, most of those guys in terms of his major league track record uh, and is not going to play as often as most of them. But he's he's a better hitter than negative two WRC plus. <laughs> right. You know, so... With a little bit of time, like J.D. Davis is probably not going to be in the you know the upper tier of hitters in baseball. I mean, it's possible, but um, you'll if the guys who are doing well so far, and there, there's only a few of them, but if they come down to earth a little bit, that'll be just fine. If you know the majority of the everyday lineup starts to hit the way it's capable of hitting, so yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's not a hot take. I'm not angling for a a, a day job on sports radio. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess to uh, to just sort of you know the flip side of w- what the future holds for the pitching is the return of Carlos Carrasco. Maybe maybe even soon. Um, you know the updates have all been good. We just don't have a a date yet. Like maybe they want to get him into a Syracuse game or, or a Binghamton game, uh, beforehand. I, I don't know. Maybe they are ready to have him start next week and we just don't know that yet. Um, but Carrasco Lugo, and then hopefully not that much later in the season, Cindergard, uh, you know, those are some significant reinforcements. Um, so I, I really do think this team can be a lot of fun. And I will say that despite not being like pissed off right now, as you said to open the show, this is uh it's less fun than it could be. You know, with this kind of pitching, if the lineup was firing on all cylinders, the Mets would be, you know, what? <laughs> 15, I don't want to say 15 and four, but like they'd be, five they'd be games close over to 500. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they were scoring four and a half runs per game right now, uh, with the pitching they're getting, they would they would be comfortably over five hundred. Yes. Uh, 
but they're also lucky the entire division is off to this weird, you know, sluggish start. Everybody's sort of, uh, well, everybody's under 500, which is not something to brag about, but <laughs> no, no, it's not, but it, it helps. I mean, uh, and the, I, Mets are, the Mets are technically still in first place. They're tied for first place with the Braves and the Phillies right now. Um, which does not mean anything because they're all under 500. They're all game right. under. Uh, but at least the Mets haven't, you know, look, if the Mets can keep around 500 for the next month and then the bats start up, I think even that is potentially a good outcome. I hope they're above 500 in a month. But if the division is this bad, you don't need to win 100 games to win the division. That's true. Um and the idea that they could be 500 for the first month or two of the season was something that I thought could happen, admittedly, because of the bullpen, it would, <laughs> with, with very few other concerns uh, about the, the team. But, yeah, baseball has a funny way of just finding different ways to to get to a certain point. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and th- that's not to say that I like I was right, just... I don't know. It's it's possible to sort of tread water early on and uh and, and get high. Similar to the the way the Yankees have started. Uh you know, their their lineup certainly hasn't been hitting the way that it's capable of. Um I think they've picked it up a little bit lately, just you know, I don't follow them that closely. But I know that they were were getting a whole lot of criticism, uh, you know, fans booing players and i don't know public service announcement don't boo francisco lindor come on yeah for real like yeah you know he's better than this you know he's super likable uh i don't know gary Cohen talked about it on the broadcast and it's something that has happened to many a great player in new york several of whom have played for the mets um it's just a weird thing like one thing that I'm definitely over that isn't uh, it's not a result of the way the past year has gone is getting mad about guys making money. It fully made that swing over to they deserve it. The sport is just swimming in cash. It's not my money. Who cares? Right, and especially now. Well, I didn't care about the Wilpons money at all either. But, <laughs> but especially now, like, oh, lifelong Mets fan who is one of the richest people in the in the world. Um, yeah, very much not our money. So that sort of, uh, I don't know what I don't know what the right word is, but the attitude toward the high paid player from a significant portion of the fan base is something that I, that I definitely don't have anymore. You know, I'm not, I I don't want to sound like my reaction to this is, is a better way to react than anybody else's. No, I I know what you're saying though, but it, but it, but it's mine. And you know, that that's where I am. Uh, But the one I, but I do judge people if they're booing somebody just because that somebody makes a lot of money. Yes. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? 
Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No so the Mets are going to need a fifth starter next week for the first time in a little while. Uh, it would make sense that it's probably going to be Joey Lucchese who gets the nod again. You know, Lucchese was not terrible in his couple of starts for the Mets. Um, but I could also see a case being made for Jordan Yamamoto to get the start next week. Is there anybody that you feel strongly about as the fifth starter for next week? And probably uh, probably for at least two weeks they'll need that starter but until Carrasco maybe returns. Right. So if it's not Carrasco, um, for, for no rational reason, I don't have anything to back it up or – the, the spring training schedule was so disjointed in terms of broadcasts and understandably so. They're practice games. I, I, I totally get it. But it's not like I got to watch Jordan Yamamoto and said, oh, yeah, I really like what I saw with that, you know, in, in, in that starter with that pitch or something along those lines. But uh, Lucchese, I think, can be a valuable pitcher for the Mets. So, you know, by no means is this, oh, I don't want to see him pitch again. But while they wait for Carrasco uh, to come back, I I don't know. I wouldn't mind getting a look at him in, in a game. I, I, yeah, Lucchese hasn't been terrible, but to be able to pitch deeper into a game, unless we start to see that Sean Reed Foley – is a really good, you know, multiple inning relief guy to pair with somebody like a Lucchese. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. I, I like having starting pitchers who you can at least reasonably think, okay, this guy might throw six innings tonight, maybe even seven. Um, and, Going out and feeling like, okay, this guy, three, four, five innings is around the max. Um, if the bullpen keeps up the way it's been, then maybe that's less of a concern. But the Mets have also had, uh, as you mentioned, a ton of off days. So you can't have Trevor May and Edwin Diaz pitch in every game. Right. And there have been stretches where the Mets have been able to have them pitch in every game just because of their their schedule so far. Um, so yeah, not, no, no strong feelings. It's just sort of a, a matter of curiosity. You know, what does Yamamoto bring to the table in a major league start working with Jeremy Hefner? Um, yes. And it's not to say that Hefner is necessarily the, the greatest pitching coach ever or anything, but the reputation is good from his early work in that role. 
Castro, who is somebody who's showing significant improvement in, in the very early going here this year, uh, that there's a lot of talk about how much he and Hefner are, are, are clicking and, and spending time together and, and, and connecting. And, you know, so often in baseball, it just seems like it's, it, it's that mix between that specialized coach and specific players and, and the, those coaches that are more successful, I think just connect with those, with more players than, than coaches who don't, uh, it, you know, I mentioned earlier the, the long track record and then a, a change in somebody's career, Justin Turner, does he become that hitter? if he stays with the Mets and, and not for like LOL Mets reasons, but just the, the, the way it all goes, you know, if he, if he doesn't get non-tendered and, and then picked up on a minor league deal and spend time around the people he did, is he still playing baseball now? Right. right. And, and now he's in his late thirties and has been a phenomenal hitter for a long time. But there is still some randomness to it, uh, no matter how talented. Everybody who's even close to pitching a major league inning is extremely talented. Right. So there, there's some randomness to it. And, yeah, this, it's a very long way of saying I'm okay with experimenting a little bit to see what they have in a real game uh, because – Lucchese versus Yamamoto for a start or two now until they get replaced by Carrasco. Uh, you know, that that's not something that's going to make or break the season. Uh, so, sure. yeah, just seeking a, a little bit of variety, a little bit of curiosity, and maybe those bullpen additions come from within. You know, the, the team starts playing well. You get to the middle of the season. Lucchese, Yamamoto, maybe get that shot at being that one or two inning relief pitch pitching guy um, while you have an actual minor league season going on so that there are pitchers who are stretched out. If you need a spot start, that could be something that could work. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm also relatively intrigued by the couple of innings Sean Reed Foley threw so far on the major league staff. I mean, I, I, I know that, you know, like you said, pitching coach, new environment, all that could help. But he looked incredible in those couple of innings compared to what he looked like in the past. So I, I, I'm i with you that I would like to see Yamamoto for curiosity reasons, but I wonder if piggybacking Lucchese and Reed Foley isn't a bad idea either. Or isn't a good idea, rather. Um, right. <laughs> so we'll see. You know, I think it's I think it's good the Mets have options. The one thing that the the Sandy Alderson 2.0 admin, uh, administration here has done has been to bring in a lot of depth for this team, and you're seeing it in the bench, you're seeing it in the bullpen, you're seeing it in the starting pitching ranks. They are able to account to have for having two of their starting pitchers out right now. They're accounting for having their second best, their best or second best reliever out right now, and you know. It's okay. The team is not imploding because of it. Or rather, the team's struggles have nothing to do with those people being missing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that is a good point. And it's I think it's another cause for optimism, honestly. 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I don't know. I, it, <laughs> I I know we've gotten to ride some very high highs in April over the past few years, but being right in the mix and slightly disappointing right now, I don't, I'm not sounding any alarms over that. I, you know, I like what I've seen, and I will say that uh, you know Luis Rojas hasn't really made – yeah, was it the first game of the year or the second that everybody was questioning? And I'm not saying they shouldn't, but everybody was questioning some head-scratching moves. I feel like there haven't been too many of those. Um, I don't know. I think the team can very much right the ship. Yes. Yes, I agree. And the thing we haven't mentioned through all of this is that Jacob DeGrom's ERA is 0.51 right now, that he struck out yeah. 59 batters in five <laughs> starts, which ties him for the major league record for the first five starts of a season. And he has walked four batters in, I believe it's five five starts? Yes, four batters yeah. in five starts. So calm the fuck down, people. We still have the best pitcher in baseball. He's still very good. <laughs> yeah, I'm not panicking yet. Right, and I would say that should the Mets make the postseason, uh, obviously, there's nobody I'd, I'd want on the mound more than the best pitcher in baseball. And regardless of what the run support looks like in in the in a regular season, uh, and what his win loss record is, I would absolutely go into a Jacob Degrom postseason start if we are lucky enough to see one this year or you know, at any time really that he's mm -hmm. pitching, I would go into that start thinking this is going to be a win. You know, this, nobody, nobody is better one at, at pitching overall and two at being absolutely unfazed, uh, by, by a situation. But again, the broadcast highlighted this tonight. It's something that we all know from watching DeGrom over the years. He is somebody who gets into a tight spot and gets better. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, he didn't just, have his best stuff tonight. He didn't. He right. still struck out nine and gave up one <laughs> earned run and walked one person. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and it's the second time in these five starts that we've gotten to watch him sort of self-correct. He was a little more off in that start in Colorado and then, you know, turned it around anyway, S sort of just hit, hit a moment in that start that it went from not being right to being dominant. And, and I know he gave up some runs later in that start, but between that one and tonight, um, it, it's amazing to watch that. And, and I'm not trying to pick on, on Stephen Matz here. You know, he, he had a bad night tonight. I hope he does well in Toronto. Um, but he, he's sort of an example. And I would say Zach Wheeler was this way too, when, when he was with the Mets. Uh, and again, you know, I, I, I don't want the Phillies to do well, but I have nothing against him. You know, I, I hope he is successful, and I hope the Mets can pry him away <laughs> to get him back if he remains this good at some point. But, you know, we've seen those pitchers who have a lot of talent and can look great, but when things aren't going right, they they just completely have the, the wheels come off. Um. And Jacob deGrom is somehow immune to that. So on top of being better than anyone else at what he does, 
he, I don't know. Like, it's not that he doesn't get frustrated. He does sometimes, but he, I, I can't fathom not having it and, and then finding it while you're in the middle of an actual game. Yeah, I mean, he he has bulldog skin. To, yeah. to, to, to steal a phrase from Guided by Voices. He has bulldog <laughs> skin. He's just, you know, he, he nothing nothing phases him. He just, he might get pissed off, but he's not going to, he's not going to melt down. Right. He's not. And yeah, no, and, and, and honestly, you know, as somebody who, like, pitched a little bit in high school and never had any shot at doing anything beyond that, I can relate to Steven Matson and his frustrating starts more than, <laughs> right, right. than DeGrom. It's just, I, it's unbelievable to, to watch it. And I guess, again, this might come back to being uh, appreciative that, that we get a full season and leaning toward the pitching side of things. But I'm not going to let the Mets offensive funk rain on the DeGrom parade for me. We're still watching a once-in-a-generation talent. Right. I mean, the way he's pitching right now is, without hyperbole, perhaps the best pitching anybody has ever done in the history of the sport. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't watching every Pedro Martinez start in 99, but that's right. probably the closest in my lifetime. Not, I guess you can count Doc Good in 85. I was 3 in 85, right? But, like, from my memory, this feels... You know Pedro-ish, except he's doing better than Pedro did. Yeah, I saw a comparison. I think it was, I think it was Hector Gomez. Uh, a friend sent it during this game, but it was just a, you know, a, a comparison of the first twelve hundred innings of Pedro's career and Degrom's career, um, and each one of them has done certain things. You know, based on the the stats that were included, each one had done some things better than the other. But they were very similar stats. Um, I, it's weird. Do you think Pedro is underrated in the history of pitchers at all? That's. I feel question. like he might be slightly. Well, here's the thing. I feel like Pedro is... Pedro's career did not start off lights out, nor did it end lights out. But when... Like, and I don't even mean that, like, most most careers don't end lights out. But I feel like Pedro's peak was relatively small. Like, Pedro did not have a 10-year dominant peak. His peak was probably, what, 98 to 04, 05? Mm, yeah. Well, 97, he, he had the best ERA in baseball. Okay, so I mean, 90, I'm just... Yeah. But, yeah, 97 to... 2003 was really the ultimate and then 2004 he had he had almost four era um and then he you know he comes to the mets he has a very good year in his first season and then you know a little, a little more up and down dealing with injuries uh, you know after that to finish his career yeah i just think that his peak wasn't wasn't quite long enough and also i think sometimes if you're on a good team your individual performance gets lost a little bit and like yeah. you know he the end of his peak the red Sox were quite good 
and there were a lot of characters. You had, you had Johnny Damon, you had Manny Ramirez. You know, there was there was a lot of people to focus on at that time. Most of Degrom's success has come when he is the by far the most impressive Met, right? I, th- I think that the the only time I could really see him really sharing the spotlight was during Alonzo's rookie season, right? Where Alonzo was the best hitting first baseman in the game and DeGrom was the best pitcher in the game. Um, but, you know, e- even even that, I just think that what DeGrom is doing in an, in an era where... See, and this is where it gets tricky, too, because Pedro was doing it during the steroid era when offense was really inflated, and DeGrom was doing it at a time when there's been more strikeouts than ever before, right? So I, I understand that you have to level the playing field a little bit. It just seems to me like... DeGrom is doing it with more consistency than almost anybody else I've ever seen. Just every start, it looks like this. This is Again, he had a down start tonight. He struck out nine people and walked one, gave up three hits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, and it's the one run wild. that scored, the one run that scored, if there was a competent left field, there probably wouldn't have scored. Yeah. Yeah, at least a ball that could have been caught. Yes. Um, not or guaranteed. Been, or could have, could been, have. Or could have been played in a little bit better. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. not Maybe not been a double at that point. Right. But, yeah, it's, it's kind of wild. I will say, I mean, mathematically, for any one player to have that much of an effect on the strikeout rate in the game is is tough. But DeGrom has thrown a lot of innings with an insane number of strikeouts. So, <laughs> In terms of contextualizing for era, um, he has contributed to the rise in strikeouts in the game because he's so good. I obviously can't say he's single-handedly responsible for it. Even a pitcher throwing 250 innings uh, is a relatively low percentage of all the innings that are thrown. But to the extent that he has, uh, you know, done that, he he's been uh, one reason why strikeouts are up and uh yeah i don't know as somebody who likes pitching i i don't i don't mind that (laughs) agreed uh well let's do this let's take a quick break here we're going to go to my conversation with john stolness from the good fight talk about the mets philly series coming up this weekend so we will return with music picks after this we'll be right back All right, I am here with John Stolness from The Good Fight talking about all things Mets and Phillies ahead of their weekend series at Citi Field. No, at at, uh, Citizens Bank, right? Citizens Bank, yes, indeed. The Mets Mets schedule has been so thrown off the last two, three weeks with off days and rainouts and snowouts that I have no idea where anyone is. Anyway, (laughs) how you doing, John? Doing good, doing good. Like I was, I'm battling a little cold, but otherwise uh, hanging in there and, uh, trying to trying to maintain some semblance of sanity watching my baseball team try and hit the baseball it's uh, since we last spoke it hasn't gotten better well uh it it hasn't gotten better for the Mets either if that makes you feel any better offensive wise um how are you overall feeling about the Phillies now that we're almost a month into the season how are you feeling about the team I'm I'm obviously not feeling as good about them I I picked them to win the division before the year I, I really felt their roster was a lot better um, I feel like the Andrew McCutcheon struggles have not surprised me. I, I thought that he would not necessarily play very well, but uh, the lack of production in center field has been, has been 
really amazing the, the level to which it has been a problem. Alec Bohm's struggles here in the first month of the season have been a struggle. Uh, and the, the struggling number four, and number five starters have been a struggle. And suddenly the bullpen, which we all felt really good about after the first couple weeks of the season as the highest ERA in the national league. So um, I, I think though, as I, as I was looking at different numbers, you know, some of the Phillies offensive numbers as a team are pretty good in the national league. I think they're uh, something like, oh, I don't know. I was just looking it up. They are like Hoskins has eight home runs. Harper's six in OPS real Muto's the third Philly in the top 30 in OPS. The Phils are fifth in OPS in the national league. It's hitting with runners in scoring position. They're absolutely tanking with runners in scoring position. And that is, I think they're nine for their last 62 was the number I saw this morning. So it's, you can't, I mean, they're getting opportunities, which, you know, I think makes me feel like maybe they're going to come out of this at some point, but uh, it has been a, it has been a real slog so far for the offense. Now of those concerns that you have, which one do you think has the potential to be the year long concern? Oh, I think until they get a fix, it's really a toss up between center field and left field because I feel pretty good about the number four. Well, you know, I say that actually I'm going to change my mind. The back of the rotation, the number four and five starters, I think are going to be harder to fix. Like I think Dave Dombrowski can go out there and he can find a platoon mate for Andrew McCutcheon. Mm -hmm. Or if he decides, you know, they just don't want to, you know, they McCutcheon's just so bad. And I think McCutcheon will get a little better as the season goes along. I don't think it'll continue to be this bad. So I think, I think left field, you can work on that. I think there'll be some options for the outfield, maybe even in center field. Uh, that'll help out. Um, I don't think Odubel Herrera is the long-term answer there, but uh, I think they can figure out the outfield a little bit easier than they can figure out two starting pitchers because there's no depth in the minor leagues. They've sent Spencer Howard down with the intention he was going to be a bullpen guy this year because mm -hmm. he just doesn't have many innings under his belt. They're recognizing the need to stretch him out. And I think they're going to try and stretch him out down in the alternate site. And then when the minor league season starts to give them some more starting pitching depth, because Matt Moore and Chase Anderson have been horrible so far. And Vince Velasquez is the only guy waiting to prop them up. So uh, that's a big problem for this baseball team right now. And it's, it's hard to go out and get two decent pitchers, even, even number four and five starters at the trade mm -hmm. deadline and not yeah. have to give up a ton to get them. Yeah. And you know, this, I, I had a feeling what year was it? There was a couple of years ago where there was so many free agents that there was like an alternate spring training site. Do you remember that? Yeah, where, that was before last year, I thought, yeah. I feel like in about January, I thought, there's still a lot of players out here. Teams are going to be picking up pieces until opening day. And then all of a sudden, everybody got swept up by a team, and I feel like there's no one hanging around right now who is a potential you know, late signee. So I think you're right. I think starting pitching is going to be very, very tough to come by over the next you know few months. Um, I want to talk about the Phillies outfield for just a second. You mentioned the struggles with McCutcheon. You, you know, Harper has not looked terrible, but like you said, the runners in scoring position number has not been good for the entire team. Do you think that there are, um, I know we talked about this on your show last time, sort of, do you feel like there is a front runner for the center field job right now? Or do you feel like that front runner is not in the organization right now? I think the front runner is whoever has it at the moment. And that's Odubel Herrera. But again, I don't feel he was not a very good baseball player before the domestic violence incident that got him suspended. Mm -hmm. So he was trending downward anyway, before the domestic violence incident. And I don't think he's gotten any better. He hasn't looked any better so far. He didn't look that great in spring training. So um, I think the long-term center field solution is not currently on the roster. I am surprised they gave up on Mickey Moniak as quickly as they did. I, so I. I thought they would give... 
Yeah, I thought they would give him a little bit more time out there in center field, uh, especially if Odubel Herrera was the option to, to back him up. Um, maybe Scott Kingery figures it out a little bit more once the minor league season starts and he becomes somebody who can be productive in center field, but I have very little confidence in that. So I, I really do think they're going to have to go outside the organization for a, just even a season ending fix. It's not even a long-term fix, a season ending fix to the center field problem. And it, you know, even if it's just to shore up the defense, even if you can get an elite defender out there, I don't mm-hmm. mind if he only hits 240, 250, but he can't hit 180. And that's what they're, they've gotten, you know, even less production than that so far in center field. So uh, it's been, it's been an enormous problem and there's no obvious solution despite a lot of names and a lot of bodies. There's no solution that's currently on the 40 man roster. As far as I can see. Now, why do you think they gave up Ammoniac so quickly? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, he didn't look phenomenal, but he had a really rough start. He looked like a deer in headlights his first few games, but then he hit that opposite field three run Homer. Uh, and you thought maybe that would start to be a springboard. Um, he only got a couple more starts after that. And then all of a sudden he's going back down to the minor league site and Odubel Herrera is coming up. So it's a mystery why they don't feel like they want to give him the job, uh, at least for right now. He's 23. He's our former number one overall pick. Um, I realize he hasn't lit the world on fire in the minors, but at the same time, none of the guys currently on the major league roster are lighting the world on fire. I would have given the kid a chance. It seemed like maybe that home run would, would take some of the monkey off his back. You know, Hey, I got my first one out of the way. You know, I can play a little bit looser now. The numbers don't look good for him, but I just don't think he had enough time to get his feet under him. Do I think he's going to be a really good player in the majors? I do not. So I don't want to, I want anybody to think like I'm thinking they're keeping a future star from playing, you know, that's right. Nowhere near what I'm saying, but <laughs> when, when the options are Odubel Herrera or Mickey Moniak, I know which way I'm going. Yeah. Especially because you would think that even if Moniak can establish himself as being a, you know, if one tool really starts to show from his game, then you know what you have. You've given him the better part of a season. You know he can be your defensive substitute. He can right. be your bat off the bench, whatever it is. You, you'll know you have a better idea of who the player is if you play him a lot. You right. know who Herrera is. Right, right. You know that. I mean, that's just a – that story's been written. And I think maybe the Phillies feel like, you know, hey, he was a former All-Star. He at one point was a pretty productive player. He at one point was one of the cornerstones of the team. I mean, he's the first guy that Matt Clintac signed to an extension when Matt Clintac first got the job. Maybe they think that player is still lurking inside someplace, but it has been a very long time since the good version of Odubel Herrera has showed himself. Now, how do you feel about Girardi as a manager? You're, this is the second or third season with Girardi at the helm. Second season. And yeah. obviously last year was the pandemic season. So I kind of wanted to just throw that season away because sure. it was so strange. Um, the The honest truth is that I have not seen much of a difference in how this team is playing on the field with Joe Girardi as the manager, as opposed to Gabe Kapler on the manager. Now, as the manager, now there hasn't been as much drama, which is, I think, a relief. When Gabe Kapler was here, he was the face of the franchise, and your manager should never be the face of your franchise unless he's Sparky Anderson or something like that, you know? Right. So uh, I think it's, I think everybody's calmed down, but some of Joe Girardi's bullpen decisions have been perplexing. He doesn't seem to be able to make a substitution without making it a double switch, which has not been wise at times. Uh, There have been times where he's gone to certain pinch hitters where I questioned whether or not that was the right guy to go to. Um, 
you know, and the Phillies have been a terrible road team these last two years. I mean, a dismal road team. And I know COVID restrictions make it so that it's a little bit harder to play on the road, but the rest of Major League Baseball is playing by the same rules. And so one of the things that you, I think, look for in a manager is managing the clubhouse, managing the culture, all that kind of stuff. It's some of the in-game stuff for sure. But this was one of those areas, one of those things that I feel like you should look at and say, yes, a really good manager should help this team be better on the road for a number of maybe different reasons that aren't, you can't point to a specific number or something, but just that he would have his players better prepared to win games on the road. And we haven't seen that so far. And I don't know if that's fair to Girardi or not. I'll just say this team has not played any better under Joe Girardi than it did under Gabe Kapler. How much of that is his fault? How much of that is the fault of the roster construction, I think is up for debate. But I don't think Joe Girardi has added wins to this team the way we thought that he would add wins compared to Gabe Kapler. Okay, that's interesting. I know that Kapler came in with a lot of fanfare and did not necessarily leave a a very well-liked person in Philadelphia. Uh, Girardi... To me, always, and not just because he was the successor to Joe Torre, but he seemed like he was a very calming influence on the Yankees. He tried to make the team a little bit, um, just to not not have so many ups and downs in the media and all of that. So that that tracks what you're saying. But I'm with you. I think I thought that he would do more for the team on the in the wins and losses column than he has yeah. uh, thus far. Although. You know, if you talk to, to to stats guys, you know they'll tell you that the best manager in baseball probably adds two to three wins to their team a year. That's it. But you know, I, I think you can. I I think you're right. Is what I'm saying. I, well, I, I'm surprised by Girardi as well. And I think a bad manager can subtract wins. I, I don't know how much a good manager adds wins. I think that's very true. It's the players. And Joe Girardi cannot get this team to hit better with runners in scoring position. If this team was doing even just a little bit better hitting with runners in scoring position, we might be looking at a team that's a few games over 500 as opposed to one game under 500 as we're recording this. So uh, it's, and that's one of the things it's always really hard to judge how much impact a manager actually does have. Um, I think that the Phillies clubhouse is a good one. I think they've, you know, they've got a lot of really good leaders in that clubhouse, Real Muto and Hoskins and Harper. Then those three guys are playing great. All three of those guys are playing great right now. Um, it's just, it's a top heavy, it's a top heavy roster. And we kind of knew that coming in. I just assumed that some of the, some of the other parts were a little bit better than they've proven to be so far. And I just, I expected Joe Girardi to kind of push, push some better buttons. Nothing he's done has worked out. Some of that's been his fault. Some of that has not been his fault. And that's just kind of how baseball goes. But yeah, uh, you know, it's just been, um, it's been interesting with Girardi and I don't know exactly how much, how much, blame to throw his way just yet because he's had a lot of headwinds so far sure now i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you about zach wheeler you know former met who came over to the phillies at a big was it a five-year deal i believe yeah yeah and um has looked pretty good so far uh under the contract you know the mets beat him up a little bit last week but uh you know that tends to happen yeah. sometimes going back to an old team what do you think of wheeler what, what, what are your general thoughts on him as a player Love him. Co-ace with Aranola. He has been worth every penny. One of the few really good Matt Klintak free agent signings. That was not a slam dunk free agent signing. I mean, there are other guys that I think a lot of people wanted ahead of him. Garrett Cole has obviously been a great pitcher for the Yankees. So, but he cost way more than Zach Wheeler cost. Steven Strasburg was the other guy that the Phillies could have gone after instead of Zach Wheeler that off season. That has turned out to be a very wise decision 
to go after Zach Wheeler for the money they're paying him and the production they're getting out of Zach Wheeler. They didn't sign him to a cheap contract. It was a very fair, very good contract for Zach Wheeler, but he has pitched like an ace for this team. He's been, he's had a number of starts that were dominant. The starts where he has been off, he's kept his team in the game, which is really all you can ask for. And he has had flashes where his game, his game this week against the Cardinals was just a masterpiece. And he's had more than a few of those uh, over the course of the two years he's been here. So could not be more pleased with the production from Zach Wheeler. It's actually probably been a little bit more than I was expecting to get from him. And I I liked him to start with, but I I don't think I thought of him as kind of like a pretty decent number two. He's either a very high end number two low end number one right now for a potential playoff team. I'd feel great with him starting game one or game two of a playoff series. Yeah. I always thought that Wheeler's potential was never fully maxed out in New York. Uh, So there's a book coming out. I think it's this week by New York Mets beat writer, Mike Puma, that is, is kind of an expose on the Wilpon years of ownership for the Mets. And uh, there's a Zach Wheeler story in that book where he, he asked to join the team in uh for the playoffs in 2015 he wanted to be with the club and the Wilpons refused to let him do that and then he asked for tickets to the game they said you have to buy his own tickets to the games which is just unbelievable and so it it does not surprise me that Wheeler wanted to get out of New York when he did but it will always somewhat sting to see him wearing Phillies red there was a game what I think was actually his first game he pitched was against the Braves in a doubleheader where Matt Hardy Matt Harvey started game one and Wheeler started game two and that just felt like this beautiful example of where the Mets starting pitching could go. And, and those guys were a big part of the team. And so I will always root for Zach Wheeler. So I'm glad he's doing well for the Phillies. Yeah. yeah. Great, great pickup, great free agent signing and those pitcher signings. You never know how they're going to go. They can go a couple different ways, but he's been, he's been terrific in, in Philadelphia. And I think the fan base is, and they, they, you know, they've got the Phillies have three good starters. I mean, and that's really, that's a great thing to have. You know, they just get a little bit more from four and five. They're in good shape. But with Nola Wheeler, Eflin, that's a that's a really solid one, two, three. It absolutely is. Um, now, is there a player on the Phillies that you think the general baseball is not paying enough attention to? I think it's a good question. Um, well, right now, there's a lot of folks on the team who are who are struggling. I mean, you could make Zach Eflin that guy. Uh, I think he is really emerging as a a top flight starter in Major League Baseball. I think he might be like a top 25 starter, top 30 starter in Major League Baseball. Um, and I know that uh, he kind of flies under the radar with uh, with Bryce Harper here and with uh, Reese Hoskins. JT Real Muto still just does not get a ton of publicity. You know what I mean? He's very quietly having a top 10 wins above replacement season. If you look at his numbers, I looked at his numbers the other day. I was like, I couldn't believe his numbers were as good as they are. He is, he's been extremely productive. Uh, He's always good behind the plate. And with catcher defense, you rarely notice it. You know, you don't notice framing. You notice when they're throwing out runners, but you rarely notice it. Um, And so when we talk about the best players in the game, we don't talk about JT Real Muto that often, but he's playing that way right now. I think, I think I would probably lean towards Eflin because I feel like, he's not ignored and the rest of the team has struggled this year. So I feel like no one really deserves any more attention than they've been getting at the moment. But uh, I would probably, I think Zach Eflin is probably the most underrated and under noticed player, good player on the Phillies so far. Okay. Is there any Met that particularly scares you going into the series? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, Pete Alonso always scares me. Um, I think, uh, Jeff McNeil, I still have Jeff McNeil nightmares all the time. Um, you know, just for whatever reason that dude always kills the Phillies just absolutely kill. in the same way. Gene Segura kills the Mets. Yep. Jeff McNeil always kills the Phillies and uh, Dominic Smith has been hurting the Phillies quite a bit, uh, as of late. So yeah, lots of, lots of Mets players, uh, worry me for sure. And I'm sure I'm leaving a number of them out. Well, you know, it's going to be a very cold offensive weekend because both teams just cannot hit right now. So yeah. Yeah. maybe one of us will wake up the other one's offense. <laughs> it might take turns. You know what I mean? Yeah, like exactly one, one game one. Yeah. So I think that's probably more likely what we're going to see. Cause the national league East is a tire fire this year so far. Yeah. Who'd have thunk it. That was supposed to be the best division in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's really struggling. It's really bad. Yeah. Now, John, where can folks find you online? If they want to find out more about you, read your writing, hear your podcast. Yeah, so uh, I'm on Twitter at John Stolness. Uh, you can read all of our great work over at thegoodfight.com, P-H-I-G-H-T. And if you go, if you look on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcast, look for the Good Fight podcast feed. Uh, you'll find my podcast, Hitten Season, and all of our other Phillies podcasts that we have there as well. Um, so just, you know, go to the podcast store and uh, look for the Good Fight. Chris, what is your music pick for this week? So... It feels like it's been a while since I've gotten to recommend a record that just came out. And based on some forthcoming releases, I think I'm going to get to do this a few times this spring and early summer, which which will be nice as long as the, there's no disappointments from the band that I'm expecting to, uh, to you know, put out records that I like. Uh, so with that said, Dinosaur Jr. put out a record uh, last week. And even though there's been more of a rhythm to things. There are still certain days of the week during all of, the, of this that I, I was like, Oh, they put out a record today. That's weird. It's not Friday. Oh wait, it is Friday. <laughs> and it still feels weird to, to have the norm be that records come out on Friday, but that, that just makes me sound even older. No, than... I, I, I feel you. Tuesday is record release day. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, Dinosaur Jr. put out a record called uh, Sweep It Into Space. And uh, they they had Kurt Vile in the studio co-producing, I think was his official title. And I, he, believe I think so, he yes. played a little guitar on it. I don't have any strong Kurt Vile feelings. I've seen him open for bands I like a couple times. Enjoyable enough. You know, not totally my thing, but not something that I'm like uh, against. I have a few friends who passionate takes one way or the other on Kurt Vile, which is why I'm saying this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the first listen, just, as is always the case with a new record, is like, okay, feeling it out. There were a couple songs that I that I definitely liked the first time through. Um, and then the second listen, I really liked it as a whole, well, you know, which is enough for me to say that's my music record this week. I don't see it... Um, you know, moving ahead of give a glimpse of what you're not, which I listen to a lot, but it's good. Dinosaur junior, uh, you know, getting new music from a band that that's been around. I mean, it's been a few years since I went to their 30th anniversary show. One of them at Bowery ballroom, you know, so this is a band that's been around a while and, uh, is still capable of putting out good music. You know, Sonic Youth, the the interpersonal issues in the band, which is one you know one way of putting it, uh, 
it, it, it kills me that that happened because I thought their last record was legitimately great. Like it, like, and they were another band, you know, same era, same genre, um, different style, obviously from dinosaur junior, but they were a band that had been around for a long time and was still putting out music that I thought was as, as new and interesting as their earlier stuff. Uh, and, and I love when bands do that. Uh, you know, I, like I still, I'm, I'm still a Pearl Jam fan. I hope to see them again at some point when things are, you know, booming and safe and, and, uh, you know, you can put 20,000 people in front of them and, and have a good time at a show. Uh, their last few records have not been on that level for me, you know? So, Sonic Youth was was probably the best example of it uh, for a band that had been around so long. But I have definitely enjoyed the recent era of Dinosaur Jr. And I'm looking forward to listening to this record, uh, you know, more than twice and, and getting a better feel for it. And I'd recommend that people do the same. Yeah, I really enjoyed my first listen for that record as well. I look forward to re- revisiting it down the road a little bit. Um, so my pick for this week is a a compilation record that came out way back in 1968. The reason that I am picking this album is because I've been thinking a lot about one of the bands featured on here a lot, and I was doing some cursory research about it because I, you know, I've just I'm I'm sure there are lots of people who are this way, but when I when I get something in my head. I kind of get obsessed with it for a little while and I start reading as much as I can or watching as much video as I can or whatever. And I found that there was a documentary made about the musical movement that this band was a part of. And it's, um, the movement is called Tropicalia or Tropicalism. Uh, and it's a Brazilian music movement from the late sixties. And there's about five people that are the central figures in Tropicalia. It's uh, Gilberto Gil, Gaetano Veloso, Os Mutantes, and uh, Gal Costa are sort of the, the four big ones. There are a number of other people, Tom Zay, who sort of fit into that. And it was this movement that was sort of pitted. It's, it was sort of pitted in the middle of Brazil. So at the time, the Brazilian government had been overthrown in 1964 by um, the military. And so there was this very militaristic government in Brazil. The people who were against those people were very much leftist Marxists who did not want any influence from the rest of the world. They wanted to keep Brazil kind of um, Brazilian, for lack of better words. They were they were really into art that represented accurate Brazilian culture. And the Tropicalia artists were taking traditional Brazilian music and mixing it with rock and roll specifically psychedelic rock and roll and so you get this really fascinating mix of latin rhythms and distorted electric guitars and songs that are more conceptual than like um necessarily story based and again all the songs are in portuguese so it's not like i have a great understanding of what's going on in a lot of these songs um but it's music that, from the first time I heard it, really moves me and really gets me excited. And the, the documentary is on uh, Amazon Prime, and it's subtitled, so you can definitely watch it. And I, I would strongly suggest anybody with an interest in music watch it, because I feel like it just shows how music can be so important, 
even if we have never heard of it. Like, for instance, Caetano Veloso and Gilberto Gil were uh, arrested for making this music, put in prison, and then exiled out of the country for a couple of years because of the music they were making. And, you know, that we, we're very lucky that we don't see that happen here very often. But that's how important this music was to people. And um, a lot of times the, the equipment they could get was not exactly the equipment we got here. So they would be tweaking their electronics to sound differently. So like the fuzz tones you hear don't really sound like the fuzz tones you hear. I got Hendrix records from the same period. You know, uh, there's a lot of just sounds that are a little bit off. So anyway, this record is called Tropicalia O Panis et Circensis. I believe that's how it's said, which stands for Tropicalia are bread and uh, are Tropicalia bread and circuses, and that's the name of a song by Usmatanches that's on the record as well, and it's also on their amazing self-titled debut album, one of my maybe top ten albums of all time. But this gives a really good overview of what Tropicalia was, and what's so cool about it to me is that. You know, there's a couple of instances like in the Seattle movement. I hate to call it grunge because that's a stupid fucking term. But like the te the Temple of the Dog record is basically Soundgarden and Pearl Jam coming together to make a record. There's that song on the Alice in Chains Sap EP that is, I believe, credited to Alice Mudgarden maybe because members of Mudhoney, Alice in Chains, and Soundgarden come together. But imagine for a second if all of the important figures or most of the important figures of a musical movement came together to make an album together. So like Usmatanches is kind of the backing band for this album and then all these different singers sing with them and they sometimes sing by themselves as well. And so you just get this collaborative album and it you watch the documentary and it seems like there's no competition between these people. They were just so happy to all be together. They they're constantly playing on each other's records and you know playing on stage together. Not just sharing a bill but like you know you see Osmotaches in a TV show and Gilberto Gil is playing accordion with them. Like there's just this incredible collaborative spirit and it's just so cool. And um, like I said, it's music that I think is really unique and really cool. So I would say any of the records by these folks is a good place to start, but this is, this is really, this is the epicenter of all of it. And it's called Tropicalia Opanis et Circensis. Uh, so yeah, awesome. check it out. Especially yeah. if you like anything psychedelic at all. Definitely worth checking out. Um, anyway, that's the show for this week. Thanks for listening, folks. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com. We've got lots of stuff today for the off day. We have lots of stuff coming up for the weekend series. We also have lots of great podcasts like this one, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow the site on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Intonap. And until next time, let's go Mets. Mm -hmm.